You're listening to the Capay Friends Community Church Podcast, recorded April 5th, 2015, Easter Sunday. This changes everything. They sat around campfires telling stories. One of the stories they told was about a man named Abraham. God comes to Abraham and he says, I want you to take your only son, the the one whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah and sacrifice him there as a burnt offering. So early the next morning, Abraham, he gathers his two servants and his son Isaac, whom he loves, and they begin journeying to the place where they will worship. And the text says, on the third day, Abraham looked up and he saw the place in the distance And he said to his servants, you guys stay here. Me and my son are going to go over there and worship. After we're done, we will come back to you. So Abraham, he gathers the wood for the burnt offering, and he gives it to his son Isaac. And then Isaac, he's carrying the wood, and, and they have the knife, and they have the fire, and they're walking. And Isaac looks to his father, and Abraham looks at his son, and his son says, all right, we have the fire, we have the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And then Abraham, he says something very profound. He says this, he says, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering. And so the two go on together, and, and he gets to the place where, he's, where they're to worship, and he lays his son Isaac on the altar that they built, and he's just about to go through with it when an angel of the Lord stops him. And over there, caught in the thicket, is a ram. God provides the sacrifice, and he saves his son This is a story that they would tell over and over and over again about a God who provides the sacrifice. They lived in a time and a place where it is not uncommon to have to sacrifice to the gods. Maybe it's lambs, maybe it's rams, maybe it's whatever it is, maybe it's your only son, but the gods might demand that. And, and so this story was told over and over because it told about what God is like. God provides the sacrifice. This changes everything for these people. In Exodus 19, we get this scene where, where the people are gathering uh, at the foot of Mount Sinai. And, the, and Mount Sinai is filled with thunder and fire and lightning. And Moses leads the people there to the to the foot of Mount Sinai. It's like the scene of a wedding, and it says this happened on the third day. It's at this place where, where God gives his people the Ten Commandments. Now, a lot of times we think of the Ten Commandments as a bunch of rules, a bunch of laws. Um, I once heard a story about how uh, uh, the Ten Commandments were once posted in front of a, uh, a government building, and people lobbied to have it taken down, and uh, and some people were really upset about this, and, and it, I think it ended up getting taken down, but I think it's a misunderstanding of what the Ten Commandments are. The Ten Commandments are not a set of rules and laws, but they're, it's, it's a God entering into a covenant relationship with his people. Before he gives them the Ten Commandments, he says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. 
this is who I am. This is what I do. And then he has these set of expectations of what it means to be in a covenant relationship. Like, you have to, you have to reflect my nature. You can't steal from one another. You can't have any other gods before me. And so you get this image of, it's like this beautiful wedding. You imagine the people coming up to the altar and there's, there's God waiting at Mount Sinai looking at his people. I remember my wedding. You know, people say you won't remember your wedding, but I, I do. I remember standing up in front of the church as I'm waiting for my bride to come down the aisle. And I'm so excited to see her come down. I remember her wearing this bright white dress and the bottom of the dress had this leafy flower pattern. And, she, and my wife was wearing these green shoes. I thought they were awesome. And and so she's walking down the aisle, and I remember being so excited. She looked so beautiful as she came down the aisle. And I imagine this is what God feels as his people are coming to the mountain, coming to the foot of the mountain. Here's his bride, his people, coming to enter into a covenant relationship with him. It's this beautiful picture of a wedding. Now, we get this image where, where the people are making a commitment, a, entering into this covenant relationship with God. And we have weddings, and we say this is a covenant relationship, but I think in our, in our time, in our place where we are, we don't really understand covenant as very well. We, we have this other word that, that we use a lot in our um, vernacular, I guess you could say. Um, we use this word contract. And contract and covenant are not the same thing. A contract is dependent on uh, both parties holding up their end of the deal. So if one party breaks their end of the deal, the contract is void. It's done. But covenant is different. Covenant says no matter what happens, I am going to be faithful to you. A few years ago, there was this study done to see how Americans make commitments. And so uh, the authors of the study, they go to husbands and wives and they ask them question, questions. So they went to the husbands and they asked, why do you love your wives? And the husbands would say things like, well, I love that uh, uh, when I get home from work after a hard day, she has the chair put in just the right place and I could put my feet up and watch the game. I, I love that, that my wife, she, she works hard to make sure that our house is put together, that, um, that the kids are taken care of, and it allows me to, to just work and do what I have to do. And then they went to the wives and asked the wives, why do you love your husband? And the wives said things like, well, I love that my husband works so hard that he spends so much time trying making sure that, that we are provided for, that we have food to put on the table, that we are able to live in this beautiful house. And so then they asked them this other question. What if your spouse was no longer able to do those things? Would you still love them? And the result of the study, they found out that, that Americans really do love their spouses. That's not the problem. The problem is, is the language that we use to talk about commitment, the language we use to talk about our marriages and covenants seems as that of contract. It's based on what you do for me is why I love you and what I do for you is why you love me. But a covenant is more than that. 
a covenant says, no matter what happens, I will be faithful to you. And that, that's, that's what God does is throughout the Old Testament we see these stories about how the people get it wrong, about how they go lusting after other gods and they want to look like other kingdoms and they build armies and then God, he, there's times where, where they're sent, sent away and they're out of the promised land um, and they're held as captives. But God is still faithful to them. The, the prophet Hosea in uh, chapter 6, 1 through 3 says this, Come, let us return to the Lord. He has torn us to pieces, but he will heal us. He has injured us, but he will bind up our wounds. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will restore us, that we may live in his presence. Let us acknowledge the Lord. Let us press on to acknowledge him. As surely as the sun rises, he will appear. He will come to us like the winter rains, like the spring rains that water the earth. You see, what happens is we have this tendency to wonder. We're prone to go and wonder and go places we're not supposed to go, but God still holds up his end of the bargain. The prophet the prophet Isaiah says, you know what? God is faithful. On the third day, he's going to revive us and he's going to restore us. And this brings us to our text this morning. Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 24, verses 1 through 12. Luke 24, verses 1 through 12. Says this. On the first day of the week, very clearly, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? I love that line, by the way. He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was with you in Galilee? The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back, from the tomb they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others it was mary magdalene joanna mary the mother of james and the others with them who told this to the apostles but they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense peter however got up and ran to the tomb bending over he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves and he went away wondering to himself what had happened i love the way luke frames this story jesus he told his his apostles his disciples and the people with him that on the third day he will be raised but luke he starts the story on the first day of the week. Luke sees this event. Luke sees resurrection as a new beginning, a new way of being, a new way of proclaiming the way the world is. It's the first day of the week. How many of us, how many of us 
Um, we say, you know, a lot of us, like the first day of the week seems like Monday for us. That's our first day back to work. And we make these commitments right on Monday. On Monday, I'm going to eat better. Right on Monday, I'm going to get up and I'm going to run 10 miles starting Monday. I'm going to do it. Or, or on Monday, I'm going to have a better attitude when I get to work. Or this week, I'm not going to procrastinate. Starting Monday, I'm going to be right on top of it. Right? We say all these things. We use the first day of our week as a launching point. And that's what Luke does here. It's the first day of the week. It's a new way of being. So rather than saying on the third day, he says it's the first day. It's a new reality. It's a new world, much like for Abraham, a God who provides, much like an exodus, a God who enters into a covenant relationship with his people. It's a new reality. Like Hosea says, even though we have been torn to pieces, he is going to restore us, rebuild us on the third day. This Easter morning, may we speak into the reality of the way the world is. Our task as the people of God is to make the proclamation about how the world is. Through Jesus, the power of evil have been defeated and God's new world has begun. I imagine when Mary peers into the tomb and finds that he's not there and the and this being asks, why are you looking for the living among the dead? This is a new beginning. This is a new reality. This is the first day of the week for Mary. She now lives in a world where death has been conquered. When Peter, after hearing his, the testimony of the women, he bolts out the door and the door slams behind him and he takes off running for the tomb and he peers in and he sees the strips of linen laying there and he asks himself, what has happened he knows the world is not the same. It's a new way the world is. God has gotten the victory. Death has been defeated. So this morning, I want to highlight three ways in which resurrection, in which we proclaim resurrection right here and right now. Three ways in which resurrection, God's future, is breaking forth right into the present. And the first thing I want to talk about is justice. Justice. Sometimes we, we hear that word and we think of judge or we think of a courtroom and we think of the court scene with lawyers. And, and sometimes we look at judgment as being a bad thing. I imagine if you are in court, it's probably because something has been done to you or you've done something to someone and it's not a happy place, right? We've been there. We've, we've had those experiences where, 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 we, where we watch people go through divorces, we watch people go through trials, we've seen them on TV and there's nothing joyous about a judge. But imagine that you are the innocent, Imagine that you are the innocent and God's justice is being done. This is reason to celebrate. Now we who live in this new reality, this new way the world is, have to be people who practice justice. I think as Christians we have these Christianese words, right, that we use, that we say, well, we need to wait. We need to wait on the Lord or uh, I'm just trying to discern God's will. 
But let me tell you this, is that justice is for the here and now. God, Jesus, is no longer in the grave. There's no waiting to be done. Justice is here for the present. When Jesus teaches us to pray, he teaches, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then, get get this, it goes on and it says, Give us this day our daily bread and help us to forgive those who have trespassed against us. Give us this day our daily bread and help us to forgive those who trespass against us. You see, part of kingdom living, part of this new reality, the way the world is because of Jesus' resurrection, is practicing justice right here in the present and setting things into rights now. And that starts with us forgiving those who have hurt us. It starts with, with helping those who don't have anything to eat, bread, um, to make sure that they are provided for. This is God's kingdom breaking forth. Just This is justice breaking forth right here into the present. This is the reality of the way the world is. I, uh, I'm encouraged by hearing, uh, about hearing some of the work our missionaries are doing uh, in Africa. Um, some of our missionaries, they they realized there was this group of women that, that didn't have um, jobs, that they had been abandoned by the men who had uh, impregnated them, and they, they had kids, and, and they had no place to live, no way to provide. And so our uh, friends' missionaries over there were trying to figure out, how do we help these women? How do we bring justice to this situation, these women who seemingly have nothing? And so they began to look at the gifts and talents and skills of these ladies. And what they discovered was that they were just amazing at, at sewing and creating um, and making beauty. And so they bought them sewing machines and they, and they began making clothes that they could sell. And as they began to make money, they realized that they were making money, but they were spending money almost faster than they were making it. So then one of the things the missionaries realized was for these women who had never had jobs, who had never dealt with money, they needed to teach them about finances and teaching them about saving. And so what's happened is this whole village has been transformed by these women who now can make clothes and make money and are able to save and they're able to purchase land and take care of their children. That is justice breaking forth right here into the present. That is resurrection happening right here and right now. The second thing that resurrection does right here in the present as people who live in the reality that God is king has to do with beauty. Paul writes in Romans 8 verse 20, For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in pains of childbirth until now. All of creation is subject to sin. But if resurrection is God's future breaking forth in the present, then art and beauty matter. God put Adam in the garden and he gave him a job of naming the animals and tending to the garden. 
If we are made in God's image and because we bear that creative image, we are creative and artists and poets. Art is at its best when it reflects the way things are, but also the future hope of the way things will be when the whole earth is full of the knowledge of God. Lots of people in this room today, I've seen your gardens and they're beautiful. And you take time to tend to the garden and, and, and you make sure it's well kept and, 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 it's, and it's artwork. It's wonderful. It's fabulous to look at. That's part of God's creativity, God's beauty breaking forth. A few years ago, I had the opportunity to go to Thailand. And I remember we were walking around Thailand in the middle of the day and we were admiring all the architecture around us, just how beauty and how beautiful and ornate it was that obviously people took a lot of time in design and thinking about the structure of these buildings. But then at night, um, we were walking around, and we were walking around the same place in the evening. As, it was almost as if the whole city had changed. As we're walking around, and we're, we're kind of these naive Americans walking around in the dark streets of Thailand, this is some of the same places we had walked during the day, all of a sudden, like, the whole landscape had changed. There was people out and everywhere. There's lights flashing and music, and there were constantly these women calling the men in to come in. And it, and it became this place of, of where they were, they were selling women. It was prostitution. All of a sudden, the beauty that had been created, you didn't even notice it. And it became a place of death and destruction, and this is not the way it's supposed to be. But I believe as, if, if the creation is subject to sin, if the things around us are in decay, it is our responsibility as people who live in the light of resurrection, in the reality that Jesus is Lord here and now, this is the reality we live in, then art and beauty matter. The person who's a poet, the artist who paints, the dancer who dances, the singer who sings, the musicians that, that play music, art and beauty matter. It reflects God's goodness in the world. Now, of course, there is art that does not do this, but I believe the best art reflects the way the things are in the present and also reflects the hope of the future, the way things will be when all the world is full of the knowledge of God. This is what it means to walk in the reality that God is king right here and right now, that death has been conquered. It has a profound effect on the things we create. The last thing, resurrection. Resurrection, living in the reality that God is king right here and right now affects our evangelism. Now, evangelism is not an invitation to a new spirituality or philosophy or religious experience. It's the announcement that God is God and Jesus is Lord and evil has been defeated and God's new world has begun. Resurrection people are not waiting for God to pick us up and move us from the struggle, but 
live in the reality that God is king here and now and live as a foretaste of when God will eventually complete his restoration. I think a lot of us, we, when we hear the word evangelism, we get this idea of somebody standing in the street holding street si- holding signs that saying turn or burn. Or maybe you've walked down the street and somebody has handed you a tract. And as well-meaning as maybe that may be, evangelism is far better than that. Evangelism is far better than holding a sign or handing a tract, but it's living in the reality that God is king right here in the present. And everything we do, whether it be justice, whether it be art, or it's the dancer who dances, or whatever your job may be, Our lives are evangelism. It's living in that reality that God is king here and now. And when we live in that reality, when we understand that that this is God's world, God is king, death has been defeated, all of this is taken care of, it changes us. It's like the story of Abraham, a God who provides that changes everything. It's like the people at the foot of the mountain entering into this covenant relationship with God. This changes everything. It's like the women finding the tomb and Peter discovering this for himself. It changes everything. It's the missionaries working for God's justice in the world. It's like the artists who are proclaiming that God is God right here, right now in the present. It's like the church who lives in the reality that God's future is breaking forth right here in the present. This changes everything. This Easter Sunday, I want to invite you to run, work, create, love, care, dance, sing, sweat, celebrate in the reality that God is God, Jesus is Lord, and the power of evil has been defeated, and God's new world has begun. That's what Resurrection Sunday is about. It's about God's new world has begun and God's future is breaking forth right here into the present. And we, as people, get to join God in the renewal of all things. We are part of it. And it's already begun in resurrection of Jesus. So this morning, I invite you as you leave this church building this morning as you walk out these doors may you know that you are walking into a place where resurrection has happened and god is king and a new reality of the way the world is